Welcome to Buzzword Bingo, a podcast that explores enterprise tech topics through in-depth interviews with industry experts. Today, we'll be diving into the growing world of open source. In recent years, we've seen an uptick of companies that are making their software freely available to the public. In many cases, this decision means they are giving up exclusive rights to their technology. Join us in exploring the business value of open source software and learn how you can easily get started as a contributor. Hi, and welcome to Buzzword Bingo. I'm Ken Hoy, and today we'll be diving into the rise of open source software and how to get started as a contributor. No coding experience required at all. So, and joining us today is my good friend, Matt Broberg, VP of Community at Senzu and a frequent open source contributor. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Matt. Thanks for having me, Ken. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Matt and I uh, go back a ways. Uh, we've worked together in the same company and also traveled in different circles, both in and out of the open source world. So I'm really looking forward, uh, Matt, to having the audience hear your journey since you didn't always start out as a open source guy. So let's jump into it. Yeah, you're totally right, Ken. I mean, we met back when we were both focused mostly on storage arrays, which are still exciting, still a lot of those out in the wild. But this open source conversation has grown to the point where so many enterprise companies are involved. So it's not just a small thing anymore. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense for us to dive into it. As we just mentioned, right? So you're pretty deeply involved right now in the open source world and have been, I think, for the last few years. I worked with uh, various places that, again, were either friendly or not friendly to open source, depending on the company. So kind of excited <laughs> to kind of pick your brain about this. So why don't you uh, start us off by giving us a little bit of your background and kind of your journey to Sensu and to the open source world? Sure, sure. I'll start with where I am, though. So I'm at Sensu. We are a startup based out of Portland, Oregon, but uh, actually a fully remote company. And we are providing an open source uh, tool chain around monitoring and alerting. So it's based on the Sensu project that's been out for a number of years now, has a strong following, but we're a, a newer startup with a year under our belt building an enterprise product off of our core open source software. And we can talk about the different business models involved. But Talking background, I could not have been further from this when I started in IT infrastructure focused on storage arrays that were being sold for a lot of money. There are no open source parts to it. But about halfway through my career so far, I just realized that the more I got involved in community around our storage vendors and the virtualization community that we were both members of, I found that there is still this essence of it missing. And it was this ability to affect change in a really obvious and significant way at times. And as I got more involved in GitHub as the platform of choice, I found more of the open source principles like hit home for me and just felt like the right balance of individuals having an effect on what we use in the infrastructure world and not just allowing you know vendors to feed us products that at the end of the day don't actually do what we want them to do. There's far too much of that historically. And this really gave the reins over to developers with a big air quote around that developers to change things and, and choose the right tool chain and, and share that tribal expertise across us. So it's interesting because you kind of got into open source actually through community. So what do you see as kind of the relationship between community and open source for you that kind of led you down this path? Well, open source, the community side of it, it's just 
there's a lot of sub-tribes of expertise developing in the wild right now. One of the massive ones that's taken over quite a bit of a bit of the marketing funnel, but very real infrastructure uh, tool chain as well is the DevOps community. And that means to me is that the DevOps community has a number of tools involved as well as a significant culture change that it's bringing to the industry. But that tool chain is all open source. So it's in most cases uh, freely available and something that people that are actually bringing the change of DevOps into the reality of IT infrastructure are also getting to commit code or documentation or tooling on top of that by actually using GitHub as a means to sharing that information. It all made perfect sense to me. It just seemed like the next logical step from the blogging that we've been doing for years and sharing as part of you know programs like VExpert and these other influencer programs we're a part of. The next logical step is to go beyond just talking about how we use it and to actually go build it together. That's why I think it's just a perfect evolution for people who have been participating in the VMware ecosystem for years. And I really think it's the new direction for us. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying that the kind of the open source and the uh, nature community kind of uh, meshes together quite well. I can see that definitely from kind of personal standpoint, especially as a DevOps type person or a programmer. But actually in the business world, there's a lot of conflicting opinion about open source. Some people argue that it's a good thing that's very viable, very necessary for businesses. And some others would argue that it's actually uh, detrimental to uh, maintaining business sustainability. So what would you say about that? Because you, clearly you find a lot of value in open source. So what do you think are the benefits for you and for uh, businesses that are looking at open source? Sure, sure. I love this conversation, actually, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around open source as it relates to business. Like, does that mean that if you're a business owner, you have to start sharing all of the code that differentiates you from your competitors? Is that the only way to be open source? Absolutely not. And that separation of like what a business gets as a return on their investment for participating in open source, we can break into a few different categories for sure. But before we even get there, I got to say that like once you internalize some of the stuff, like I can't honestly imagine a company arguing how open source is detrimental to their business. If you think about it just from the technology standpoint, it's a force multiplier for their engineering team, first off. Like more users are getting to explore the software in greater contexts. You basically have, uh, in a way, you've distributed your R&D and testing environments beyond the borders of your own use case, which will continue to refine the software or tool chain that you're actually building out. So you get beyond your own tribal knowledge. As Linus, you know, the famous inventor of Linux, uh, once said that given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. And then like, you know, thinking about it from operational standpoint, you even get to choose your own patching strategy and you really get the freedom and flexibility to consume the software that you want when you want it, how you want to. So that's the first kind of bucket of conversation I tend to have about people is like demystifying like what it means as an IT operator or software developer to be involved in open source from your business standpoint. So what would you say to like a company that says, yeah, but if I open source my stuff, then I have no way of differentiating myself from my competition. The co-founder of GitHub, his name's escaping me at the moment, but he once said, open source almost everything. <laughs> and <laughs> the emphasis should not be on everything. It should be on almost. What you should never open source is actually what makes you special and unique and different. 
like each company has a core product set that they're actually bringing to market to add value to an ecosystem. And, you know, ideally to make a viable business on top of what you do is you save that you it's okay to have proprietary software in an open source ecosystem. It's actually how, you know, businesses like Sensu are uh, sustaining themselves. Like we're, we haven't, a majority of our software is released as an open framework. So it has all the pieces, all the modularity that you could use. But then if you want it to be packaged up into an opinionated product that's ready for enterprise with all those little enterprisey features like the right API integrations with Jira and ServiceNow and other and RBAC for LDAP and Active Directory, you pay for our enterprise edition of the software on top of it. So that sort of open core business model is a very viable way of attacking that challenge. And even if you're not building like a a software package like we are, the idea of open sourcing the things that doesn't differentiate your business is the real core argument. That's why Facebook and Google and Twitter are open sourcing so many different parts of their infrastructure, because those are not the parts that make them a viable business. Those are the parts that if they can get more eyes on it and get more engineering expertise in it, it's uh, actually money saved as opposed to business earned, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great point. What else would you say open source does to help a business beyond kind of the engineering and helping with more people do the code? Are there other benefits that you see? Oh, most definitely. I mean, my personal favorite, the thing I've noticed and what I gravitate to as somebody who likes to build community and how community often falls into some portion of marketing and product, the marketing side of it is that open source is a force multiplier to your awareness. Just the communities around open source are ready and willing to look for interesting new projects. And if they see it, they share it freely. And since people are really passionate about the ethos of it being open source, I think you can get to, if we talk you know, marketing for a minute, we can get to a much broader top of funnel awareness of a project far faster than you could with proprietary and without nearly zero cost of advertising. It's just like use the known channels and do that well. And I apologize for the listeners who think marketing are evil, but actually marketing is a very important business function. And it's the differentiation, in my opinion, between like success and failure in many cases. So the idea that you can get free marketing through open source is a really, really brilliant part of it. One example that I think shows the different ways you can attack open source as a value is like uh, GitHub is known for this side project they have called Hubot which is a chatbot automation framework. A lot of people use it to integrate GitHub and Slack together and and use social ways of contributing code to infrastructure. That is a really, really popular project with thousands of stars on GitHub, which are basically followers and, and a lot of people talking about it on trending websites like Hacker News over the years and now like dozens to hundreds of contributors. That helps attract people to using GitHub in a way that GitHub recommends, which adds to the stickiness of GitHub. And all they did was release code that they needed to make anyway for themselves. So it's got that, you know, mutual benefit to the community around the project as well as around the business. So I just think that pattern is really cool for us to think about, like to really challenge ourselves to find opportunities to open source parts of our workflow, parts of our tool chain that could benefit many others, while also benefiting the company by getting people more interested in working for them, possibly, or just marketing. That's great. I see what you mean, too, because I think if you look at other open source projects like uh, Kubernetes, 
Obviously, their marketing is second to none. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with the fact that an open source community that welcomes people. And, and so a lot of people jump in and, and word gets spread very quickly, I think. Yeah, let's dig into Kubernetes for a second. Like, What is the game plan behind you know Google open sourcing this really powerful container scheduler software? And people, you know, there's a lot of theories floating around there. But if you follow the simplest principle of that is not their product differentiator. Like the product that they're differentiating is a hosted service that is incredibly efficient and uh, something you want to use as an alternative to AWS. Them having GKE available is genius. And they are going to be the experts in Kubernetes because they're building it. And then you're going to trust them to know how to run Kubernetes, which will attract you to their infrastructure. It's a pretty slam dunk business move at that very basic level. In a sense, it's a gateway, right, for um, really, and I think what you're talking about is the Google Cloud Platform, the public cloud. So having something like Kubernetes that can run only on Google Cloud, but also on customer gear means that they have a sort of a common approach to running applications that might entice people to kind of move things back and forth. Yeah. And the the GKE, the Google Kubernetes engine that's available to you. So you can be running uh, your developers or your infrastructure engineers could be writing for local containers running on Kubernetes infrastructure. And you can take that exact same, you know, file format of the Docker file and the YAML around it and then run that on Google Cloud seamlessly. That sort of, you know, on-ramp to the cloud infrastructure explains really well why, like, this is working very effectively. And they continue to invest even though they don't monetize it directly. One other thing that I've heard over the years, and I think famously I heard of Adrian Cocroft, who's now at AWS, but was previously the CTO, I think, at Netflix. And he said that one of the primary reasons they Netflix open sourced so many homegrown technologies is it's the best way for them to find talented programmers. So can you have is that your experience as well? Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, without a doubt, like I've been participating in open source for about five years now. I would not put myself in the developer camp of that. I definitely tend to help developers be successful on open source. And we can dig into that a little bit later. But I am always impressed by the people that come out from all over the world and share really brilliant code to improve different projects. So just the opportunity to contribute to an open source project is really attractive these days to developers. And I'd argue also infrastructure engineers, since more and more of our tool chain is open source as well. So the ability to share that gives you some continuity between jobs. It kind of reduces that isolation that you tend to have if you work in IT and in one company and you can't really port anything with you if you ever leave. So it gives them that excitement, but also like these are our new tribes. Like these are where people hang out. If you find somebody who's really talented in one part of the open source world, they're often knowing other people who are talented. And when you think about the cost of acquisition of new talent, I mean, the average recruiter will get somewhere between 20 to 25% of someone's salary on recruiting. And neither of these type of job titles are, are rather cheap. So we're talking hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of savings if you're hiring, you know, tens to hundreds of engineers over the years. So if you can get a little bit of free advertising and excitement in by being part of an open source community, like that will pay off in the long run for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard more and more hiring managers, for example, talk about the fact that seeing someone, a developer or anyone in IT involved in open source projects kind of 
a gauge for them of how passionate people are about technology? That's an interesting one. I kind of warn against that because what that also implies, if you frame it the other direction, is that if somebody isn't participating in open source, then somehow they're not passionate when a lot of people don't have that ability to do so during their job. So I personally don't use that as a gauge because I think that can isolate some people. What I will say for sure is that if somebody is already contributing to open source, like it's a very easy hiring process because you get (laughs) to see their code that they've committed possibly for years. So I'd say from a personal standpoint, if you have the opportunity to contribute, you can kind of cut through a lot of the the crap of uh, the interview process by pointing to things that you've been working on and reduce some of the pressure of the overall, you know, classic slash partially useless hiring process. Yeah, great point. Let's kind of turn a little bit and focus back again on comes on the business aspects of open source. So mm-hmm. we're obviously seeing a lot of different types of companies that are embracing open source from brand new companies that are open source from the get-go to uh, companies, uh, a couple of which maybe we've worked for before, that have tried kind of break open sourcing some piece of technology and trying to make that transition. And then obviously, we're also seeing companies like Microsoft, who you n- would never have associated with open source before, but now are probably, by me- some measures, the biggest contributor open source software today. So what do you think is kind of spurring this trend of not just new companies, but all these traditional companies also kind of jumping to the open source game? Sure. Yeah. This one's hard for me because I think there are many motivations that we've dug into a little bit uh, already. But I, I think it's a lot of, from what I've seen, like different forms of, of that sort of play where people are trying to get additional mindshare, that kind of topple funnel marketing awareness by participating. Those people that are trying to recruit better talent, there's this classic belief in our industry that there's a talent shortage. While Netflix, who's always open sourced a ton of their infrastructure, if not almost all of it, has argued that there is no talent shortage, you're just doing it wrong. I think there's been enough kind of success cases of how open source can more effectively impact culture. And with, you know, Literally 24 million developers is the last number I saw on GitHub contributing to over 67 million repositories of code. I think it's hard to find people that haven't contributed these days. You know, compare that to early 2000s when SourceForge was our our place where we hung out and shared code and a ton of code was seen as like 30,000 repos. That has multiplied quite a bit. You previously worked at a storage company and you've also worked at a giant chip maker, <laughs> as where you are currently today with Sensu. So looking back, what is the benefit for those traditional companies? What do they get out of this idea of open starting to jump into the open source world? What's their benefit since that it's so, such a different model from what they may be used to? Well, yeah, I think the benefits are around that the hiring or the growth of market or the other thing we haven't really talked about is like basically an anchor point or a beachhead into a target audience. Like let's say you're a giant chip maker and your goal is that all software runs faster on your chips. Well, if the dominant de facto standard of operating system is Linux, maybe it'd be worth investing in contributing to Linux. Like these kind of very opportunistic ways of contributing, it's a rising tide. It does rise all boats, but that doesn't mean it rises all boats equally. (laughs) There's still like a business value to participating in these things. If you can think it through and see a way in which your 
business model can benefit from being better in open source. I think that's the the thing that often eludes people when they're in a corporation and they're frustrated that their corporation doesn't want to contribute to open source. It's like you haven't found the right person who wants to invest in something uh, and sees the opportunity to kind of grow the awareness or grow the hiring funnel or actually, you know, potentially make a larger bottom line because you're participating in open source. Uh, It takes a very particular kind of business angle of it to make those arguments. And the more of us that can be really good at that, the better companies will be at contributing to open source or at least justifying it internally, even if they are doing it for, you know, reasons beyond just the bottom line. Yeah. When we talk about open source, I know we've we've been focusing for the last few minutes on companies that but obviously, open source is also, as you mentioned, for people in the community. In fact, people, as an individual can open source a project. It doesn't have to be a company. So let's turn and talk about a little bit about that. So you mentioned before you're, you're at Senzu, which is a company that's also based on the Zenzu project. A little more background. Talk a little bit more about what Senzu does. And then talk about how you kind of help foster in the, uh, contributions to the Zenzu community. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sensu is an MIT license, so very permissively licensed uh, open source project started actually six years ago now as kind of the follow on to the project known as Nagios. We clone the Nagios interface to consume what are called system checks, like ways of declaring that a system is either healthy or unhealthy or in an unknown state. So kind of zero, one, and two notifications, and then routing those notifications through whatever infrastructure. And that whole practice is considered like part of monitoring. There are other parts like you use telemetry data, the different you know numbers that you watch over time to, to look for trends. And you also have eventing and you have logging. These are all pieces that up into an overall monitoring practice in your organization. What Sensu has always, always done has been the glue between all these disparate parts of monitoring tools. So why I love my job is that I get to curate over 200 repositories worth of code that allows you to monitor and to route alerts to different monitoring tools. So for example, you can monitor your Jenkins environment made and supported by CloudBees, but open source Jenkins uh, for continuous integration. You monitor Jenkins, and if Jenkins isn't running correctly, you might store the telemetry about its health and not health into a time series database like InfluxDB, and you'll route the actual you know failure scenario to your incident team by sending it to PagerDuty. Uh, not an open source project, but we have a plugin for that as well. So this idea of being the glue between all these pieces of monitoring your infrastructure and your applications and then where you're going to store it, that's what Sensu does. So as your environment gets more complex, Sensu becomes the perfect choice for it because it becomes the de facto standard. So And that lends itself really nicely to community because we can't, as a company, hire everyone that's an expert in all these different tools. We need to build a tool that works really well for them so that individuals who know that part of the, the ecosystem can contribute a plugin back into the community. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of, uh, it was just fair to say that a lot of contribution from outside of Sensu, the company, uh, from folks who want to contribute things that allows Sensu to plug into you know, different parts of the ecosystem. 
Exactly, exactly. So, you know, just this week, somebody was using SendGrid, which is a really cool company to send email marketing information and they wanted to monitor it. So they open sourced a plugin that's a Sensu plugin for SendGrid. What's cool about that is uh, we take it into a GitHub organization and help them standardize kind of their release process and their change log process, like ways of showing change in the project and cutting a Ruby gem for it because it's a Ruby based project. But they stay on as a maintainer. And I get to help, you know, teach people to maintain open source software. And many times for the first time in their life. Um, So working on documentation practices and responding to open issues and pull requests and semantic versioning, uh, which each of these you can Google and like dig into the details, but like just the overall practice of being a maintainer of code. That's great. Since you just started talking about how you're helping people who may be contributing to open source for the first time, even outside of Sensu, what advice would you have for someone who's interested in contributing, but maybe don't know what's a good place to start? Oh, I love this conversation because it wasn't that long ago that I was terrified of playing around on GitHub because I just didn't get it. And I sat down a few jobs ago with an engineer and just asked him to show me how he pushes stuff into a Git repository because it didn't make sense to me at the time. So that experience like was really important to me that it took a couple weeks of talking regularly and committing random stuff into a useless repo until I figured out that pattern. And because that really worked well for me, I found that I wanted to talk to other people about it. So through the V Brown Bag community, this wonderful group of people that have been curating knowledge for our community for a while, we did something called Commitness, which was this kind of fun way of curating people's different Git workflows and having uh, people teach Git to each other. So if you Google Commitness or look at the V Brown Bag website, there's now three years worth of videos of people teaching you the basics of Git. So really to take a step back, I think it's essential to not take on everything at once and not try to you know learn Python by making new Docker files that you've never made before and pushing them to Kubernetes and then trying to learn Git and Markdown on top of that. Like if you break it down into pieces and start with the basics of Git and learn a little bit of Markdown, you get to a place where GitHub is no longer intimidating and it becomes this really easy ecosystem to play in. So I strongly encourage people to kind of start with the the simple stuff and get into a habit of pushing code into a repository locally and then pushing it to the remote repository because that whole workflow is really weird until it just becomes normal. So start with that. Okay, and would you suggest people create a new project to start or should they be jumping into an existing project? Strongly encourage the make a junk repository. I've got one called playing on GitHub and that's helped me a ton because I know I can push random things to it. And I use that to test stuff. I'm like, hey, I wonder what rebase really does. And I'll push a bunch of stuff and then I'll rebase it and see what happens to the Git history. And just having a place where you can hack on it yourself is a really healthy place to start because there's advice out there about like, just jump into open source, it'll be great. But I find it really hard because every community has different practices that they expect you to do, like different formats to your commit message and different coding styles that they expect you to follow. So just hacking around in your own space for a little bit is a good first step. 
And even if you don't want to learn the Git command line, you don't have to. There are tools out there. Git it is a fun one that will teach you how to use Git if you do want to learn, learn the command line. But if you don't, GitHub releases a native application for most major OSs. And there's no shame in just using that and not worrying about like the specific commands, but more focusing on the workflow and what it means to contribute to the workflow of forking and then changing branches and then committing changes and then pushing them and then going through a PR uh, pull request review. Like get that down first and don't feel like you have to jump right into a project and like try to squash a bug in the Kubernetes uh, community. It will be more intimidating than it has to be, just to put it very straightforward. Okay. No, that's great advice. So obviously, uh, listening to the podcast might, might be thinking, you know, a lot of the discussions need to focus on developers and programmers uh, contributing to open source. So if a listener hap- is not a developer, is, does that mean that they, there's no way for them to contribute or is there some way they can get involved? Yeah, I couldn't be... Uh, more against the idea that like GitHub or Git related things are developer only. No, like the world needs operators. And I think that's the biggest shift in this coding space that you'll see in the next couple years is that people will stop thinking that, you know, there is one quote unquote developer. There are operation engineers of all different types that have code in the form of bash scripts or Perl scripts or every little hacky thing. And if we start using version control systems, that's all Git is, we can maybe start to refine our operational practices in a way that's really beneficial. So see the YAML and the JSON and the other stuff that you write, see that as code and you can contribute. But then if you want to contribute to a bigger project that's not your own, remember that everyone needs documentation. Every single GitHub repo has this, you know, front page called the readme markdown file. If you learn a little bit of readme and you're comfortable with the workflow, the GitHub workflow, the best thing you can do to get involved is just to, you know, fix typos and mistakes in the actual readme. Like make that more consumable or fix something if there's some drift between like the command line flags that are listed and the ones that actually worked when you tried it locally. That's how I've gotten involved in a number of projects that I think are really cool, like Homebrew for Mac and some of the stuff around the Kubernetes ecosystem. And it's really easy. People appreciate it. And I think it really gives you that on-ramp into getting more involved, even before you know how to code. And maybe you never want to learn to code. Maybe you do. But at least you can get involved by just helping with docs. It's always the easiest way in. That's fantastic. I've been involved in a few open source projects and people are always talking about how the documentation need to be updated. <laughs> so last question I have related to this is, um, I know in previous roles, you've also done a lot of work shepherding user groups and meetups. And that seemed to be a big thing in the open source community. Can you talk a little about that and how user groups and conferences like OzCon might be helpful for people who want to kind of get started in the open source world? Oh, sure, sure. When thinking about all of this stuff, it's easy to get overwhelmed behind your laptop at home alone. But I think, yeah, the real energy of open source comes into effect when you're around people that are contributing to open source. So, you know, OzCon, the open source convention by O'Reilly Media is by far like the biggest event for that. 
you know, with you know, tens, maybe tens of thousands at this point, but many thousands of people showing up and teaching each other about open source practices and infrastructure. That can be a little advanced for people these days, to be totally honest. But if you're looking for a different place other than your traditional, you know, blank con or blank world events of IT infrastructure, think about going there. But then, you know, find your subtribe. There are DevOps days all around the United States and the world, actually. There are, if you're interested in learning some some specific programming languages, there's a bunch of ones for Python and Ruby and JavaScript and now the newer ones of like Rust and Go. Or just, you know, drop by a Docker meetup and they're sure to be talking about open source. They're, they're very centric of it. So, you know, find a local tribe and interact with people and that will help you start to build some sense of on-ramp for yourself. Because I think it's all about getting into a comfortable place where you realize that it's okay to make mistakes and you're learning with other people and building relationships. Thank you, Matt. Well, I appreciate what you just shared. And I'm going to end here. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Matt. And you've definitely helped us unfold the, of the whys in open source software and talking about the best way to start contributing to projects. So, Matt, where can people find you online and, or in person and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, on GitHub and Twitter, I'm at MB Broberg, which I'm sure will be in the show notes. Uh, it's hard to spell, but uh, find me there. <laughs> I also am vice president of community at Sensu, so I hang out in our Sensu Slack, slack.sensu.io. And I'm always happy to help people learn how to get past their fear of open source. So hit me up on any of those three places, and I'm happy to either coach you or send you some resources to get you going. Okay, great. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for listening. If you want to stay up to date with what's happening with Buzzword Bingo Podcast, please follow us on Twitter at Rubric Inc. And again, thank you for listening.